welcome back to part two of the Hennessy Files podcast, proudly presented by Aloha Surf Manly. You had a 14 year career. Was there any, uh, like, all athletes say they don't have regrets, but was there any regrets when it comes to, you know, maybe that third world title? Was there anything you looked at and went, ah, oh, bugger? Oh, if I had sure. it again, was it not in. Was it 88? 88, yeah. And the was, pipe thing? Oh, yeah, I was just definitely not. Talk us through that. Uh, I just wasn't well prepared emotionally for that day. As far as my potential at pipe is really high, and I've got great potential to win at pipe, and particularly at that point. And, um, and I felt really good, but I just. You know, Todd Holland got me on the interference. You can't get... You, that's a technical interference you cannot get today. It, it wow. was a paddling interference. And as soon as I sort of... I was nowhere near him, all I had to do is just look at the wave and take one stroke. That's and they I, called it. And they called it. And six hours later, at an ASP meeting, they, they dropped oh. that rule for the next year. No. So I took a sucker punch for the rule to be dropped because it was a ridiculous rule that um, just gave the judges the black and white um, way of being able to look at it. So earlier on that year I got an interference and I was, I was way down the beach and deemed to be on the same swell. If you, the other surfer had priority and you paddled for the same swell and you would be down the other side of the beach, if it was a nice long ground swell, and you paddled for the same, you deemed to move for that wave and left the hand, left the rail, that's ridiculous. That was an interference call. And that basically there's a technicality. There's no such thing as an interference. And so that's what happened for me at that event. I was only two heats away from winning a world title. Barton ended up taking the title that day, which was, I'm, I'm stoked for him. He got a title. It's wonderful. But I would have loved to have been able to take it to him in the final at some point in, in that. But that was, that was a, uh, that was something that gave me, that intensity um, around feeling like I can't put another few years of, because I just put a good three years campaign together to get to that point to get a world title. And um, that third world title, um, yeah, just eluded me at that point. And then I, I should, when I look back at it, should have just taken a year or two off, like just completely. To reset. Just to reset. But there's just that, I never thought that I could ever take a break. <laughs> like Kelly took years off and come back and I look at those sort of things and I thought, oh, that's such a, that would have been so good for me at that point. I, I eventually tried to compete that year and I just couldn't compete. I, I could not compete. I, I couldn't get through a heat. I was just like the next year I was just shattered. And emotionally I was shattered and I was going, I can't, I can't be around an event. So I actually just dropped it. I took a break for like, I think it was maybe three months or something. I needed to take a full blown year where I just completely concentrate on something different and give myself a full break to sort of recalibrate the system. The nervous system had some pretty faulty information in it. And so, um, and I kind of went on a, uh, a mission, I remember going to myself, okay, I'm going to be on this tour. If I'm going to be on this tour, I just want to win the win the events I want to win. I, I'm not going to put that kind of energy in. 
and and I just can't trust the system to support me as I go into that effort because that let that, you down. That kind of felt I felt let down at this little level that I couldn't understand too. Yeah. So it wasn't until 14 years later down the track when I heard my brother talking about it in an interview. It was a Surfers Journal, um, like show that they put together and sold on VHS. They did bios on surfers and they did yep. one on me. And they, they really highlighted that moment and they did an interview with my brother around it. He said, oh, I think Tom decided, he sort of checked out from surf competition at that point. And I, and I gone, at some level, some deep level he's checked out and I've gone, and I didn't even know that until like he said that in that interview and that was such a you know that's how unconscious I was of how I was competing at that time had I been more conscious about what I was doing and had uh, and I was welcoming um, advice in a better way maybe more open to the situation I ended up having to sort of uproot my whole life and change it and do stuff the next year that was very uncomfortable but But, you know, I was watching Martin Potter that next year just go on a rampage, winning by the longest margin of any other world title contender. So I was stoked for him, but I was on the party mode. I was like, you! It's not a bad trip to have. (laughs) But I remember just going, I can't compete anymore. I'm just going to just party for a bit and see what happens. But then I surrendered to that. I went, I can't do this either. I've got to go home and just chill. Be normal. Because <laughs> it is a circus, let's be honest. Like, I... Oh, we had the best party in Zarats in Spain. Yeah. And it was so loose, I've gone, I've got to go home. Get me out of here. i go home. i just got to go home. Oh, wow. Some shit went down. I've just gone, it's time to go home, Tom. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that heavy when you get to that point where you're like, this ain't good. You know, got to get out. I keep doing that shit. <laughs> Mate. I want to talk to you about Hawaii. You had a special relationship with Hawaii. Uh, you won pipe three times, but you also had success at other joints. How did you transform yourself from being a, a guy from Newport into such a machine on the North Shore? How did that... Uh, was that a natural transition or was that something that you had to work really hard on? Because they do speak about that these days. Uh, I think I think North Shore was just one of those places which when I got to it when I was 16 and I started to feel it, I just... It was just felt like home to me. I, I loved the power and uh, just that feeling of having excess power underneath my feet and being able to ride equipment that, that I never thought I could ride. I mean, Simon Anderson shaped my first boards for real power and, and then feeling the power underneath me and being scared but being okay with that. Uh, feeling the fear but being okay with that. I was like, oh, I can... And I felt that at home but I'd never at this level... And I go, I can actually, I can enjoy this, you know. I, I just, it was quite an extraordinary feeling and I, and I liked it. And I don't think you can kind of teach people that. I don't think you can really, I think you can work toward it. Uh, some people did. I watched Tom Curran work toward it. He, he wasn't naturally into the power and, and he kind of worked his way into it and he did really well with it. And, uh, and he was my contemporary, even though he's, you know, four years younger than me. He was my contemporary and watching someone who wasn't comfortable and then become comfortable was really nice to see. But I just naturally had that comfort zone in the power and uh, um, 
And so I kind of reveled in the North Shore power and the events and I just loved the, the, the roots of surfing that I felt in the North Shore and, you know... The, the people. The people, the, the, the feeling of being there and the swells rising and, and um, you know, uh, and I had that kind of thing that clicked in that it was just naturally made for power in the ocean. I, I loved it. I reveled in it and I just noticed when people weren't and I noticed that from a young age. There was a surfer that I... He's a brilliant surfer. His name is Alan French, and he's uh, still surfing today. Really, really good surfer. He was better surfer than me, I thought. Uh, he had a fiberglass board before me, and I used to ride it. It was like a 410 little single fin, and I used to borrow it from time to time and try and ride it. And But I used to watch him surf and go, oh, man, this guy's really good. And it was really fun surfing with him, and he was my best mate. But as soon as it got to about three foot, four feet, there was something kind of either sick or, you know, he had to talk to his mum about and do some <laughs> stuff at home and da-da-da-da. Sounds like me. And I just go, <laughs> what's up? And one of the older guys at the beach goes, ah, oh, Frenchie, that little guy, he's not like you, is he? And I'm going, what do you mean he's not like me? I didn't quite get it. He goes, you don't mind it, do you, Tommy? I'm going, I just go. Mad as a cut snake. <laughs> you can see the glint in my eye. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and it's, it's innate in some people. So uh, I used to get um, caught in, in rips and not mind and things like that. So And caught in deep water and I didn't mind. So, But that translated down the track. And um, the North Shore was, was the place to prove ourselves and then it was more so then I think there was none of these places like Nazareth. There was none of these places like Mavericks. No one sought big waves really that much outside Hawaii. We didn't think of Hawaii was really the place to be as far as challenging ourselves. Outer reefs weren't really tapped into yet uh, by a lot of the surfers. It was all about Waimea Bay. Um, you know, Sunset Haleiwa, um, Honolulu Bay in, on Maui, and some breaks on Kauai, like Honolulu Bay. Things like, places like that were really kind of, they were the places to ride power and big waves. And so, yeah, that was, in mean, those first couple of years in Hawaii, I kind of started feeling my feet pretty, pretty well. I want to bring up the, uh, the famous photo in 1991, the under the lip snap. That, mm. you know, it's one of the most iconic shots mm. and places in the history of our sport. Mm. Did you realise what you created that day and, and was it a special feeling uh, even now as, you know, one of our you know, legends of the sport? How special is it to know that people still talk about that consistently? <laughs> it's wild, huh? I, uh, I'm... I'm blown away in, in some way because when I did that turn, I do feel it now. Like I did that turn, it was just one. Mm, I reckon it changed the sport. It I, sort I, of changed, it shifted something in that point at the certain performance level. And I was always looking for performance in bigger waves and trying to surf bigger waves like a, a smaller wave and. And everything fit perfectly in that situation. The board fit perfectly. I never, I remember it just feeling like it, it was just a. It I hardly, I didn't think about anything. It just went up and did it. It was like surfing narrowband, big narrowband. 
and I and the board fit perfectly and the way the board fit and everything the board itself was such a lovely board for pipe uh, and, and Pat and I'd Pat Rawson and I'd been working on boards for um, si six years to that point together um, really conscientiously working towards better boards all the time and <clears throat> And we'd, we'd taken a, a bit of directive from Morris Cole and the boards that Tom Curran had been winning, he'd won his third world title on with a reverse V. And we thought, oh, and I'd mentioned that I'd had a success on a, on a Morris um, reverse V and we, and we applied it to that quiver that winter. And the reverse V turned out to be beautiful board to ride for me at pipe because I could really roll over on the V, flat panel V, so there was still a bit of holding of the water, there wasn't any roll to it. Flat panel V, plenty of swiftness of the water carrying through the board, bottom of the board, and then a flatness, so it's a reverse V. V used to be, a standard V would be coming out the back of the board and be flat in the front section of the board, across underneath in the hull, and a reverse V's flat between the fins, and V forward. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so the board would roll over nicely on the front foot and then it'd harness the water through the fins and just squirt you through the turn. And you can see how Tom Curran got a lot of squirt. I just love watching the way Tom would get right over on rail. And that's, those, those Vs allow you to get just tilt the board right over and around. Transition from rail to rail is really swift uh, um, and beautiful and clean. Plenty of if there's plenty of power in the wave. Wow, because <laughs> I love that shot. Like it's mm. seriously, it's it's an incredible uh, moment in time when you look at it. Like mm. there's been other moments, but that moment it took the world and everyone just went. It was a wow moment for our sport anyway. Yeah, it's cool. So it's cool. I do get responses from people still today. From all around the world. That's, That's so good. Mate, yeah. mate justify. Pretty cool. It's like, so honestly. Cool. Yeah. Mate, um, I want to talk about, you know, your personal uh, journey. Like, you did a book, TC, mm. written by Nick, mm. who I consider, to be honest, like, I, I wrote articles for the daily for 15 years mm. i didn't even go to school mate so i'm terrible i consider your brother probably one of the most finest uh surf journalists in the world yes um, yeah. and very underrated to be honest mm. uh, nick wrote your book how tough was that to unravel uh your life in such a public manner was that was that tough or was that more uh therapeutic it was all of that really you know um there's no I wouldn't actually recommend it to people who are in recovery, to who who've gone in the public eye, and to go out and um, just do the big story about their their kind of coming into recovery. Yeah. Um, until a fair way down the track in the recovery, I was five years into recovery, and that's pretty much still it's kind of moderately into recovery. It's not we're never out of the woods with this disease, so but. It's like uh, at five years to sort of like put a big uh, book out about my experience with addiction, you know, how I came out of that and the transformation that's happening and happens as a result of coming into recovery. It's beautiful, but I wouldn't recommend it on someone who's 
you know, it, it's it's a you have to make sure you got a lot of support. And I had a lot of support, so there's no way that book could have come been a reality until you know. Unless I had a lot of support, I had a lot and a lot of good people around me during that time. I think uh, having gone through this experience with myself in active addiction and then thankfully popping out the other side, there dawned on me as I went in further into recovery that surfing had given me so much, you know. It had offered me an incredible amount of, well, it gave me life and breathed life into me and it still was doing so. And I thought, if I can do something here that may help someone suffering, if I can do something and not just tell the story in, in the anonymous programs, the 12-step anonymous programs, which are beautiful places to be, and that's why I recommend, it's not recommended to write a book and become just out there with it, but it's, uh, non- anonymity is a very powerful spiritual principle in, in allowing someone to open up and accept love back in their life. So they're not sort of out in the world being feeling like they get judged. You, you, all of a sudden, if, if your mind's thinking you're being judged by everyone, you're kind of in this very, very soul, very lonely place in the world. And people can seem very, very harsh judges of character when they find out, oh, he's, he's a drugger while they're having a big drink <laughs> or they're smoking a big dairy or they're actually doing some other kind of something on the side and they want to point the finger at you. So... It's a very tricky world to go into, but what I was getting to is that I really wanted to give to the world a story. I couldn't do it on my own. I needed someone alongside, and I thought I'd put it to my brother, and he's braver than me to come in on this one and to say, okay, Tom, I'll do it. And, and it was a beautiful partnership because he's such a, a wonderful writer. He's just a wordsmith. So having someone like my brother and who has got a beautiful memory a wonderful brain, wonderful mind, who can actually articulate and actually put it to someone actually have a read and actually be a good read. So, and, and actually, the honesty, though, had to come out clear. It couldn't come out any other way. I'd already done a, a book with Kirk Wilcox on my... Yep. And that was a cool book, Wave Within, and that gave a lot of stats and a lot of things along the way. But I remember going, God, there's so much more to this story. That it's book, it. your book, mm. like the TC book, was more raw, uh, natural mm. and honest mm. in, in every way, shape mm. or form. And, you know, people have this conception about, you know, athletes and elite athletes mm. that they're, they're superheroes. Well, they're not. Everyone mm. has a journey. Everyone comes from a place. Like, I'm lucky you said surfing is basically been your life right surfing saved my life mm. when i was in the depths of addiction yeah. at, at a proper time in my life where i had to make a decision to go one way or the other mm. uh, it saved my life and i'll forever be grateful of being in this industry for 25 years but like yeah it was so raw that mm. book and it was so good because i mean hard for you as the person who's you know unrolling your own story mm. but it, is, it was a great tool for other people, I think, too, to realise that, hey, dude, these guys are normal people. Everyone has the issues. Everyone has problems. Yeah, yeah, and, and we're human. We're human, and I think it's very important for anyone suffering to hear. That's how I got clean, was actually hearing someone tell their story and say, this is possible. I couldn't see that um, being clean was possible. I needed someone... 
just to relay the story as it is, and I was hearing these stories in the 12-step fellowship rooms, they're just like sacred spaces, those spaces. They're just built to rekindle the human spirit, and they're just beautiful. And that's just through just a whole bunch of kind of addicts and alcoholics and, and whatever else you got going on just coming together and getting honest and it starts to move something and shift something inside the human spirit that can't be done without that story and you, you actually for a moment they're hearing someone else you actually it's like taking off that wave and having to give everything to that wave because you you actually drop yourself hear the other person's story and then something magic starts to happen through thin air and so when someone's reading that book and they can Perhaps, and I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I'm two years clean. That stuff makes me cry because I hear someone bearing their life through just this message that came through me that came through someone else. It's like uh, this human spirit kind of moving through. It's beyond me. And so when it comes through me and it comes through and it helps someone else, I go, oh, that's real. That's happening. And it's tangible. I'm looking at this person and they're emotional, I'm emotional, and it's moving. It's just a beautiful thing. And all the kind of hesitations I had about that book, all the times I actually lost a bunch of weight just about to do all the promo. I don't know, unexplained. I just must have gone through a whole bunch anxiety. of anxiety that I didn't even, didn't even feel. I felt quite okay, but I just noticed all of a sudden I lost a bunch of weight a couple of weeks before, and, and that's what happened for me. That was just a process my body was going through. I want to talk about uh, your bond with Nick. How important has that been in career life and development as a person? Nick and I, you know, you big brother, like you look up to your big brother um, in all kinds of ways. So you kind of look to them for direction all the time. And yeah, the, the experiences that we've, had, that we've moved through life, the things that have torn us open, you know, over the years that have brought us closer and... Um, at the time, you know, never made sense, but then they brought us closer and then they started to make sense. Those moments and those times, you know, where we, you know, we lost our mother, we lost our sister, big moments in our lives. And then caring for our father when he passed away and a couple of years ago, we lost our grandmother. That was kind of like a really nice thing though, that she was, she was 96 years old and she'd taken care of us after we'd lost our mum. And, uh, and we lost our sister in a car accident. That was devastating. And just this stuff that we've, had, we've navigated and we're still navigating today, it just thankfully brought us tighter and closer. And, you know, we have a good chuckle about things today. It's kind of, it's pretty cool. And, you know, we're still going through life. And... Who knows what the hell's coming around the corner in the next 10 minutes, let alone, you know, the next day, two days, who knows. I want to also touch on your relationship with Ross Clark Jones and you two maniacs, your big wave prowess and, and what you've achieved in that arena after your career finished. How did all that start between you two, um, you know, partnering up? And, and you must have had some incredible experiences with him. Yeah, we did. We, just the, the fact that you could have... You can hang on for the ride with Ross. It's pretty classic. <laughs> I loved it. You, you know, I still love, deep, deep love for the, for the man. He's just a, an absolute cracker, one of a kind. But, 
Yeah, yeah Ross, Ross and I, we met. Um, I remember seeing a photo of him in Tracks magazine doing a cutback. At, I must have been at the Haven or somewhere, Terrigal Haven or maybe at Vocal Point. And I'm going, that guy's got a style, you know? This guy from the Sunny Coast, you know? This guy's got a bit of a style to him. He's like he's laying into this turn. And I'm going, this kind of cutback and look, look good. Anyway, didn't think about it for years and, and a couple of years maybe. And then I ended up, he ended up on the Quicksilver team and um, we did the Mad Wax movie together. Oh, and he's the star of the Mad Wax movie. And, and, uh, and we were rocking around, having fun. Uh, and that was our first sort of get together in Hawaii. I already knew that he had kind of that energy. And, and we had kind of that sort of energy that kind of, that kind of married in together, this kind of vibrant energy. And, um, and I was a bit of a dick because I was like the world champ guy. But it's like, you know, like, I was like, Mr. Frickin, and, and, and Ross as well, you know, Ross. And anyway, like, but we got to Hawaii, I'll never forget, like, seeing him go for it in Hawaii. I go, mate, this guy's a freaking maniac. I love it. This guy's a fucking beauty. He just gets lit up. And I go, I get lit up too. So we both kind of get lit up by these situations and we're going, fucking, we've both got this fucking light up situation uh, within us and we recognised it. And that was when we were staying at the uh, place called Ka'ikahali, which is right on the beach at um, where, you know, um, Clark Little, the great photographer of the shore breaks at the the Ka'iki uh, shore break, those big water, those amazing those shots. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we lived right in front of that and uh, in this place that Quicksilver used to rent out. So we used to be able to stay in this um, holiday rental right on that beach and body surf that crazy shore break and we used to get completely annihilated and just watching him go over the falls there, I'm going, that guy is nuts. And I, he's just getting launched. So I'm going, I'm gonna get launched too. We kind of, so we connected, you know, whenever they're like, you know, Mac and Hallie Eva, Mac and Sunset, and then it came to him for having to surf Waimea Bay. I couldn't surf it that day. I was so bummed. It was the Billabong event. And it was, I'd busted my eardrum surfing Sunset the night before. And I couldn't surf. And it was Waimea Bay. And, and it was pumping Waimea Bay. When I was just bummed. I had the best board for Waimea Bay. I was like ready to go. And Ross, go on. God, you know, I've got to go. I've got, got a chance in this event. You know, I'm going. I've got white me, baby. I'm there at 610. <laughs> <laughs> and he freaking charged. Oh, God. This guy's... This guy's a great maniac, you know? I'm going, this guy is a great maniac. And we just sort of kicked it off from there. It got pretty hectic. <laughs> Did you have any, like, really serious situations where both of you or either of you could have actually died because you surf some big waves in those movies mm. what was the heaviest place uh, um i think i think it's um pedro branco like down off tassie southern tassie that was like the nastiest that's potentially the most dangerous wave we surfed i think like well it was it's uh it's broken a few femurs that place, and <laughs> and probably could drown someone pretty easily. We Ross got 
pretty annihilated in that, that session. But that was... I'll never forget, we, we got to that wave really on dawn and it's, you know, 20-odd nautical miles south of the very southern tip of Tassie, right on the edge of the continental shelf, right down in the southern ocean there. So we got down there and we couldn't see... We could just see this office block of a piece of rock and I remember going, oh, you know, who's going to get on the first jet ski off the, off the boat? And, you know, I'd never, I'd never unhooked a jet ski off a crane into the water, and I didn't never. But I was just on the first, on, oh, get on the first jet ski, yeah, jump straight on, have a wetsuit on. I want to go and ride out and have a look at this wave. And, man, I was so lucky I didn't die then with this jet ski getting <laughs> slammed in the ocean and just unhooking it at the right time. If I didn't get it at the right time, I, was, I, was, I realised then I, just, I was fucking fucking got slammed in the side of the boat because it was so hectic to see. And I just somehow, I just timed it right. I was, I'd look back on that and I'd go, that's one of those moments where... Anything could have happened again. You, know, you just get slammed in between the 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 crane and the uh, the ski, and it was going everywhere. It wasn't. It was just one of those moments where I just jumped on it like a monkey and just ripped it out and just had that timing thing. I, I was like, then I saw Ross trying to get get onto a jet ski too, and I was going, wow, that was that was just by the skin, your hand on chin, chin, chin. I was just made that, and Ross was having some difficulty, but he got back got on the jet another jet ski we went and had had a look at this wave and i'm not cruising that's kind of semi-light it's not like fully visible and we're going over this just this slab ledge thing it just started drawing and then all of a sudden i was down the bottom of the wave and ross was way up the top of this thing like within a split second i'm looking at ross way up the top on the bottom of this thing just ledging out and i'm like <laughs> used everything I had with a jet ski to get out and I was kind of had to kind of dodge going through this kind of weird turbulent area to get her out of that situation but the not the the size of the explosion was next level I'm going wow where the hell are we <laughs> I was like we're in, in another planet out here this is really sketchy so but but that was probably the scariest kind of session I think we had. But it was also because it was the first time anyone surfed it and we had the Tassie boys with us, you know, Marty Paradisus and the Homer Cross Brothers and uh, Cody Graham, who was actually the lifeguard. But I told him he grabbed my board at the end of the day and got a massive wave. But that, that, that session was really special. It was a real special. We had... Other crackers too, like you know, um, cow bombing, and um, and then then you know, turtle dove reef, which was really loose because that's way the hell out to sea. Seemed like both all those areas had really vibrant sea life too. It wasn't like, but shipsterns, I you know, I had to back away from it. I had a bad shoulder on the second one, first one, it was just just hideous conditions and Ross got annihilated and it looked like he was going to hit by the anvil. The board was basically an anvil because it was we just put all a bunch of axe heads. We get to the weight, to put weights on the board. The most weight we could get, or the best weights were axe heads. 
and when we duct tape them to the board. So we'd go to the <laughs> wow. go, to, go to the hardware store and get certain weighted axe heads, and we just so it was like an anvil. And we came off, came out of his straps, and then he coming down over the step, and that was our first trip to Shipsterns. And I remember looking at Wave going, "That doesn't even make any sense." Backside, I'm not even going to do it. And uh, I went to James Home and Cross. He was on one boat. It was like it was the temp that day. Uh, was minus 11 wind chill factor. So you think what? about that. There was snow on the uh, coming out of Port on Arthur, the rock on the on the sand dunes. Wow, yeah, little bits of snow. Yeah, <laughs> so it was hectic. I was going. to wake you up in the morning. Like, yeah, I was looking at those waves. It just didn't make any sense. It started getting ugly on shore. It was like 20 feet. It was horrible. I was like, God, that's not even a wave. And just I went to James James home across. And said, James, are you going to go out? And he goes. He shook his head and no. But Ross had to do it. He just, oh, we've got to do it. We've got to go. <laughs> He's pretty competitive, isn't he? Oh, yeah. It's ultimate competitor. Oh, I'll tell you a story. I knew a person who was on Survivor with him. Mm. And they said, have you ever met Rox Clark Jones? I was like, oh, I've met him. I don't really know him. Um, but I have met him a couple of times. I said he's a serious competitor. And he, they went, mate, he was next level on that show. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to be in a group, like, you know, working yeah. off each nah. other, not Ross. He was like, beat it, I'm winning this thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's like that. They said yeah. it was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, he didn't want to borrow it. No, I'm on. I'm focused, wow. ready to go. Right. They said he was fit too, like yeah. ultra fit. Yeah, he's a... He, he's a yeah, he's a wonderful character, Ross. I love him to bits, and we still, you know, we remain in contact a lot. And you know, he, you know, he's, he, I, 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 for me, I hope he, I hope he kind of doesn't go Nazare again. Like, but I know that he will. Uh, he's had some physical setbacks over the last couple of years, so he's sort of coming out of them now. And I, I think he might want to have to. He's going to have to go. He's just so locked in. To doing it, and uh, you can see that oh, anything in it. I mean, I might have to just go over there and watch it. <laughs> Hold him back. I don't know. I'll just be there just to see it because it'll be quite extraordinary to see him come back to that way. Well, we're nearly going to wrap it up, but I want to chat to you about uh, quickly about your partnership with uh, Quicksilver and mm. how important it was on your career mm. and and what it's given you in life, that that brand and mm. athlete connection. Well, I started with Quicksilver when I was 14 and um, as a sponsored surfer and there's been two years break since then. So wow. that's um, I'm 60 now. So it's a long period to be supported by a brand and I... Um, just feel really fortunate to have come by the relationship and so it's definitely a big part of my world and and the support that they've given me has been even through through the tough times you know they supported me and they understood and they've been you know I've got a great deal of respect for the founders of the brand and and even though it's changed a lot and there's a lot of difference, there's still some people in there with the core of value, uh, the brand, who are still living it. They're, 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 they're still, you know, like pushing forth with with what the values of the brand are. So which is, is, for me, 
to be a part of this brand is very special. I, uh, I hold them very dearly in my soul, really. <laughs> I know it sounds odd, but um, the mountain and the wave has been very, very a strong part of my life. And, I mean, it's going to come to an end someday. I don't know when that will be, but um, maybe not. I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. But, uh, but it's been a real... It's been a real great relationship and I love seeing who they, who they sponsor now and all the young kids are coming up. I love the fact that I'm actually there. <laughs> I can't believe it. I was doing something just recently with Jackson Bunch, young surfer from the North, you know, Hawaii, yep. great surfer, young kid. And that was just real special talking to him about pipeline, using a helmet and all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, to, to be able to talk to those guys and have you know, respect and all that and still be with the brand today and speaks volumes. Mm. Let's talk about the, uh, the current state of the tour. Um, do you keep an eye on it? Yeah, yeah. I, I watch it. Um, I'm not, like, hyper close to it, like every little detail. I don't go into too much detail with it, but I do love and I get stuck watching certain surfers, like... And get interested in what they're doing now, and uh, and there's the way the WSL presents so wonderfully that we can kind of get to that now. You can really start to sort of pick the eyes out of it, and um, you know, from the men and the women, both sides watching it um, develop and sophistication in the way it's presented, and and the way the surfers are bringing their game up to the level. So. You know, and, and the amazing performances have come out in the heat of the moment and when the pressure's on. Guys like Gabe Medina, you know, um, you know, I'm glad that he's actually recognised that he needs a break, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the great support that these athletes have. They, they, they're just so much more refined than back in my day. Mm. From an Australian point of view, where do you sort of see where we are in the development scheme of the worldwide sort of explosion of like Brazil and the States are going really good and yeah. even Europe's starting to really come on. Mm. Where are we going to get our next, you know, male world champ or female world champ? I mean, we've still got Steph and the girls are really strong and the mm. way they surf these days is incredible. Mm. But the men, um, I feel like we're in a transitional phase at the moment. Well, I think in general, the whole country's had a bit of a, um, a fluffy zone, like in... In, in general, like the whole country. In the last, say, decade, two decades particularly, there's been a zone where, you know, we've been flushed with, you know, the riches of a, a very, you know, very wealthy country at a, in a whole, so we're very comfortable. And so we can take all these different angles on things. We don't need to, you know, we're not hungry like we were. Mm. It's not a, not a certain hunger. But... And it needed to, needed, and, and at a time when that was happening, there was other countries really developing, and particularly places like Brazil. I always thought, well, it was obvious Brazil was going to do something from a long way back, but to me it was, and I could see just the energy, you know, but I was just seeing how they're going to actually get out of that country. And now, you know, they're out and doing their thing. They're just vibrant, athletic people as a whole, and they come from a place where no one takes anything for granted. No one. Like, you come out of there, you're hungry. 
you come out of a country like that, you don't take places, you don't take anything for granted. You come from a place like Australia in the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years, and you kind of have a sense of kind of like, oh, you know, a lot of other just be a free surfer and, or just be that. And that, I'm going to go and do something else. And I put my energy something else. Or I like my surfing like this. And that's fine. There's nothing good or bad about it. But as far as what you're talking about, as far as a hungry competitive element that's actually going to lift performance and create a culture around lifting performance to greater heights, to actually, you know, you know we sat in, a, in my era in a great position of dominance in the surfing world. And that's where, you know, I was used to that. Like, I just took that for granted. <laughs> Again, take something for granted and then all of a sudden it slips away. So I, could, I think the, the moment we can really, you know, really get hungry around, you know, winning, you know, winning in surfing, really get that hunger going. Um, it seems to be going, like you see Morgan Sibwick, um, you know, Ryan Callanan, these guys are really, and Jack Robinson, people like this are really sort of really bringing their surfing level to the pace. You know, see Reef Hazelwood, Hazelwood too, like young guys like that, who are really sort of starting to lift their performance, focusing on improvement at all levels, you know, real refinement. You know, we don't have to be doing a big, we don't have to be, <laughs> have this great big program, it just needs to be a focused one and in a culture of great um, of, of refinement, a culture of refinement, constant refinement of the act of, of becoming a great athlete and a great competitor. And if you've got that, that in you, you know, really develop it. So, you know, the culture of competitive surfing, it's, uh, it, you know, you come out of Brazil now, you know, I'm sure there's some incredible surfers going to come out of Brazil. You know, there's young guys will come out. There'll be a dip. <laughs> They'll have their dip. But gosh knows what's happening within Australian surfing too right now. There's a lot of young surfers out there are just really, really keen. I can see... Oh, like, yeah, like, club land. Club, I mean, I'm... Club, clubs are like we see it yeah. uh, at, the, at the club level. Even at the, the keenness and amongst kids at just a sort of a moderate level. Just enjoying 100%. it. Just loving it. Uh, that's key to the, the culture. So we'll see more coming out of Australia, no doubt about it, from the women. I mean, we've got this really, we've got a cool culture going on right now, particularly at the club level. So yeah. I can see, see this uh, filtering. I feel like as I've been president of North Bull Bull Riders for 25 years, mm. right, I feel like our club right now is at the strongest point mm. um, of development when it comes to quality surfers, but not yeah. just quality surfers, but just numbers of kids that uh, adore the sport and want to be a part of the sport. So I, I, like at that level, I'm not too fussed about, you know, what's yeah. happening right now because I feel like the future is going to be good for us. Yeah. And, um, and what makes me more excited is that the transition from it just being male dominant to females and mm. girls who just want to be a part of it and surf and get better and develop, it's incredible. Isn't it good? I, I love it. It's so cool to see. I live my life for it. Yeah. Beautiful, eh? Yeah. Mate, I want to really thank you. Uh, this has been such a special uh, interview for me because, as I said, when I grew up, uh, you were my superhero. 
yeah, you and so. guys like BL uh, still over the years I've known you and come through the system uh, you've always been so kind and so generous with your time and stuff and you are an icon of the sport and you should be very proud of what you've achieved in life thanks Adam we really appreciate it thanks Tommy thank you the Hennessy Files podcast series proudly presented by Aloha Surf Man. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check out next week's episode.